Now, there isn't any question about the book of Jude and what it represents. The book of Jude represents, beyond any shadow of any doubt, uh, uh, all the events that are taking place around us right now, bringing us right before and up to uh, the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. It's a little book, just like the rest of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's got one chapter and just 25 verses. Now, the author is disputed and probably cannot be known for sure. Some people say it's Jude, who was the Lord's brother, literal brother, that he was born of Mary, part of the family, literal family of Joseph and Mary, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. Other people take the position that it was Jude, the brother of James, who was also called Thaddeus over there in uh, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 10, and Matthew chapter 10. You can go either way. Personally, I tend to believe that it was probably Jude, the brother of James, but it, it's not one of those things that really make a big deal. As I said, technically speaking, the book of Jude is the last book in your Bible. It ends the order of events. It ends the final transition. And then the next book, the book of the Revelation, brings it back and puts it all in perspective for you, kind of as in a summary. Now, I'll tell you something else that the book of Jude does. <coughs> and I mentioned this Thursday night. A couple of times a year, the President of the United States will get on the television and he'll give what they commonly call the State of the Union Address. In the State of the Union Address, the President gets up before uh, all the American people and he literally, basically, lays out where he thinks we are, how far we've come, what work we've got to get done yet. He basically takes the position that he's laying out uh, the state of the Union, being the Union being the United States of America. That's exactly what the book of Jude does for the child of God. The book of Jude is God's state of the Union address to us as far as Christianity... <coughs> And as far as this country is concerned, in the last days. We're going to talk about that in a little more detail in just a little bit. I don't know of another book in the New Testament, anyhow. Plenty of them in the Old Testament. I don't know of another book <coughs> that paints the doom and the gloom, which is about to befall America, better than this little book does. Now, we've got some problems in America. And the problems that we have is we do not understand the times within we live. And I'm not talking about the unsaved world. There's no way they can understand. I'm talking about God's people. And we're going to see as that all fits into this thing too. God's people are as probably as confused today as is any time in the history of the New Testament church. I don't know how many times I've been asked over the last couple of years. You remember back in... Uh, I believe it was September 2001, that the great travesty that took place in New York when the terrorists flew two jets into the World Trade Center and set for us really a different course in life. You would have thought that that would have woken people up, but it didn't. It only stirred us for a little while, and then we... You see, America's asleep. America is fast asleep, and... We all can relate to this. When you're really sleeping and you're enjoying it, you don't like to be disturbed. And, you know, it's a thing where we got awakened for a short time and then we went back to sleep. You know, we were all gung-ho to end terrorism and then once we got into the war and we saw that it, we, when we walked over there as Americans and went into Iraq and Iran, they weren't just going to throw their hands up and say, oh, you're Americans, we quit. We didn't have any stomach for it. And whether you think the war is right or not, it's immaterial to me. 
I've been asked all the time, what do you think about the war in Iraq? And I think I said, that's nothing to the big one that's coming. So I don't really care about these little, little squabbles that are going on around the world. You wait till the big one comes. We'll talk about that in a minute, too. But you know what? I've been asked all, you know, I mean, you see that, and, you, you know, and, and then I've been asked this over the years. You know, a number of years ago, we got introduced to a new, uh, a new uh, uh, disease that struck America. It was AIDS. And, uh, you know, because of that and all of the things that go along with it, you know, uh, people have been asked this many, many times, you know, is AIDS, uh, as the World Trade Center, was that God's judgment on America because of sin? Now we're faced with a new strain, which is the bird flu virus. And, you know, I mean, uh, you know what scares me? It, that sounds, when you first hear the boot, the boot, boot yeah, the boot, bird, bird, bird flu. When you first hear about the bird flu, you think, what's the big deal with that? Flu, we're so used to. Birds, they're not. But the, the, ter the term is, you know, the, the bird flu epidemic. Well, so what? You know, so my bird dies. I don't care. We don't think in the terms it could be something catastrophe to us, but we get it. Now, if you, you know, back in the Dark Ages, they had the Black Plague. Now, that sounds mean. I mean, honest to goodness, if you went in and, you go, and your doctor said you got two choices, you can have the Black Plague or you can have the bird flu. Well, give me the bird flu. <laughs> See, doesn't sound very bad. Black Plague, oh, man. So we, we get, we, 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 you know, we, we just, we don't think of things the way they should. And then what about all the terrible natural disasters? Man, I mean, I feel sorry for the people down in Florida. I mean, uh, we got tsunamis. We got New Orleans and all the travesty that took place with the hurricanes and the hurricanes and the tornadoes. And we got earthquake in Pakistan a couple of weeks ago, killed a couple hundred thousand people. We've had so many hurricanes in Florida down this time of year that they're running out of names. This one, this one is Wilma. And now they're going to have to go to Greek letters because you've ran through the gamut if you had so many hurricanes. And I'm asked all the time, you know, and I'm sure if you're a Christian, you're asked too. The question is, and I hear preachers preach this, and I hear all kinds of people have all kinds of opinion on it, but the great question that you're asked is, now is all of this that we're seeing, is all of this God's judgment falling on America because uh, God is going to judge America. Well, let me say this. Now, here's how I answer that question. You would really be naive and you would really show how you really don't understand God in the Bible if you didn't understand that, first of all, the Bible's filled with God judging nations and judging people and judging the world because of sin. I mean, my mind immediately goes back and somebody says, well, could God, and the idea is, and this is where we're asleep, we think that God is a loving God, therefore God wouldn't ever do anything like that because God, we have so bought into the concept that God is love, which He is, that we think that God is incapable of anything that we perceive as evil and wrong. And in the world today, we look at God's judgment or whatever God would do as something that uh, God would never do because the God of our mindset, the God of our concept, the God of our understanding because of the way we are is a God that would never do anything bad to anybody. 
And of course, the wisest man that ever lived in Proverbs chapter 28, verse 5, addressed that issue when he said, Evil men, the unsaved world, understand not the judgment of God, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. Basically telling me that the world can't comprehend God's judgment. They'll fall into the trap that God is love and God is everything that is good. But they just don't want to buy into the fact or they just can't grasp because of the world today <clears throat> that a God that is a holy God would not also be a God that stands for holiness would have to judge unholiness. They can't get to that. I look at Genesis chapter 6 and I see where God wiped out the world with a flood. He wiped out the world with a flood, the whole world. Not just the, not just the known world, not just... Uh, you know, world New Mexico, not, not just uh, a, a city named the world, it's the whole world. In Noah's time, according to the conservative estimates, there was 5 billion people on planet Earth. That's according to Harry Rimmer's uh, Harmony of Science and Scriptures put out back in the 1920s. 5 billion people on planet Earth. Men, women, children, babies, adolescents, the whole nine yards. God wiped them out. We have a tough time with that. We have a tough time with that. In Numbers chapter 16, there was a natural disaster called an earthquake where the Bible says that God opened up the ground. If the ground shook, ground opened up and swallowed up about 500,000 people. One big gulp. Where 7-Eleven gets it from. They read their Bible. In Genesis chapter 19, God wiped out five or six cities that were filled with sexual perversion in the most unspeakable worst form in the world. And God wiped them out. We have a tough time with that today. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Bible says that God brought disaster and disease on people who were ungodly. In 1 Samuel chapter 5 verse 12, the Bible says not only did he bring disaster and disease, but he destroyed their cities. Now, my position is clearly this. Somebody asked me, does, God, does all this stuff we see around us, God's judgment on America? Well, my answer is simply this. I don't know. But I know that God is going to judge America. If I was to say and you were to ask me, is all this on, all that we're seeing, God's judgment on America, my first inclination would be to say no. You know why I would say no? too light for what God's going to do. I mean, you take any all of these and put them together and get them in one big mess on one big week where we could call it hell week, where all this stuff dumps on them that's happening around us, on your worst day it wouldn't be, it would be, would be nothing compared to what God's going to do when God finally judges America. And if you don't know that God is going to judge America, then you don't know very much about God and you don't know very much about your Bible. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 9, verse 7, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now, you see, once you, once you read the Bible, once you claim to believe the Bible, then you're faced with a great dilemma. Because now you have to choose that either God knew what He said when He said it, or God didn't mean what He said and didn't know what He said, so you don't have to believe it. Now, I'm of the persuasion, I've always been, ever since I got saved, that God meant exactly what He said. 
and that there's no error in it, and in all of the world where it's in error, upside down, and nobody knows anything for sure, God gave me one book that I can absolutely not only bet my soul on, but bet the aspect of raising my family, surviving through any catastrophe that may fall us. You see, and that's the thing, and again, America's asleep. Somebody says, well, what about all the Christians that went through that? The verse is, my God shall supply all of your need according to His riches in Christ Jesus. The verse is that uh, trust not uh, to your own understandings, and all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct thy path. God always takes care of His own. You realize when God brought the plagues back in Egypt that He was such a God that He judged Egypt, but the plagues never fell on His children. God has a way of sparing and helping His children in the midst of disaster when He judges things. It's the same way in the tribulation period. When God finally comes to judge this world in the tribulation and all the plagues fall, we're going to look at it next week, you're going to find they fall on everybody and everything except the nation of Israel. You're going to find the waters are going to turn to blood. And you're going to go into a drinking fountain and you're going to turn it on and blood's going to come out. You're going to go into 7-Eleven, you're going to get you some of that spring Ozark bottled water, and it's going to be blood. And you're going to have everything in the world that's going to be, you're not going to be able to get any water anywhere, not you guys, but anywhere in the water, but the world is not going to be able to get it. You know what that Jew's going to do? He's going to go over there and pour him a big old drink of that blood, and he's going to drink it down. It's going to take like the purest, purest spring water he ever drank. You know why I know that? Because Mark 16, 16 says, if you drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt you. The Jews are going to be immune to the plagues. God's people has always been protected. When God brought the flood to the earth in Genesis chapter 6, He put His people in an ark that the flood couldn't get them. So I'm not worried about, I've met Christians who said, boy, I'm just scared to death that the, that the, that the, that the Iranians are going to sneak an A-bomb or, a, or some hydrogen bomb or some, some nuclear device in a briefcase and bring it to Kansas City. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, I keep some extra marshmallows and hot dogs on hand. You think I'm worried about that? Proud of truth, if I knew where they were coming in, I'd pave the way. I'd let anybody into this place to get me home to heaven on its own natural scale quicker than anything. Because I'll tell you what, this place has had it. It needs to be nuked. The Bible says the wicked shall be turned in hell and all the nations that forget God. Yes, God judges nations and God is going to judge America. Now, if you want to put these little piddly things you're seeing around as the prelude to that, then go ahead. I think that God has every right to judge America based on what, if you know history of America and the history of the Bible and the history of God, I believe that God has every right to judge America based on what America has done with God's Word. Now, whether all of this around me or not, is God judging it? I could care less, have no idea. But I do know this. The book of Jude tells me that America is not going to escape the judgment of God sooner or later. Now, I don't know if you know this or not. You're supposed to know this. And you know I tell you that as a young Christian, I, you know, I give you, we've got a, a different kinds of people here. We've got some of you that have been around for a long time and you've been in your Bible for a long time. You don't cut any slack at all. You've got some of you that have just gotten saved in the last couple of weeks. You, cut, you, I cut all the slack in the world. You've got some people that have been saved for a long time and you just have found in the last month or year or whatever that the Bible, you really got into the Bible, you, cut, you I cut all kinds of slack. But the bottom line is this. 
any child of God that's been in the Word of God, that knows the Word of God, that's been around the Word of God for any number of years, and I'm, I'm excluding all of you people that are just getting plugged in. My job is to help you get to the place. That's why I teach you these things. What you didn't know before I say this, you will know after I say this, and you want to come over sometime and let me run you through it. You want to ask about it on Thursday night and have me lay it out in detail. That's what Thursday night's for. Use it. But you and I are, should know that as the New Testament body of Christ, we are living in the very last moments. The very last moments of the very last hour of life on planet Earth as you and I know it. Now that may be a shock to some of you, and I don't say that to scare you. I don't say that to scare you, and maybe that scares some of you. Maybe it scares some of you young Christians just because of the fact that you've not grown to the place yet. Don't let us scare you. You know, it, 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 you know, it's like somebody said one time, you know what, well, so-and-so, do you know so-and-so's dying? And I said, well, you all got to die sometime. I mean, I don't know what, we think we're going to live forever. Certainly, you didn't think that God's plan was that life on planet Earth just goes on forever. I mean, please tell me that God had something more better than that. I mean, please don't ask me to accept the fact that when God's plan, God was so limited in what he could do that he couldn't do anything better than this. And we're just all going to stay around here killing each other, you know, stabbing each other, shooting each other, going to war with each other, spreading disease to each other, and we're all just going to, don't tell, please tell me that God had a better plan than that. And I know that he did. And if you know anything about your Bible, you know that the Bible tells you that you and I are supposed to know the times and the seasons. The times and the seasons. Paul tells you that, that he says, Of the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no, you have no need that I write unto you. We ought to know that. You're going to find that in the Bible, the times and the seasons will always deal with the nation of Israel, never the church. The times and the seasons are defined there back in the book of Daniel. They're talked about in the Gospels. And Paul tells you and me that you and I as a New Testament Christian are not to be ignorant of the times and the seasons. Let me translate that for you. He's basically saying we should not be ignorant of how God is dealing with the nation of Israel and where God is at with dealing with the nation of Israel. There's four seasons in your Bible. And I'm not talking about the musical group. There's four seasons in your Bible. Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 12 would be the springtime of Israel. The summer of the nation of Israel would be from Abraham to 606 B.C. The fall in our four seasons for the nation of Israel would be from 606 to Acts chapter 7. And the winter time of Israel would be from Acts chapter 7 right up and including the tribulation period and the second coming of Christ. Now, was there anybody in here this morning that when you got up, and you went outside to get the paper, or you took the dog out, or whatever you went out to do, that you didn't know that it wasn't summer anymore. I mean, all you have to look at is the trees. The trees tell me, without ever in any in temperature inflection, the trees tell me something is changing. The trees tell me that we're leaving summer and we're going into fall. When I walked out this morning to take the dogs out, I immediately knew that it wasn't summertime anymore. 
I immediately knew that now we were in the fall. And as we progress through fall, all of those green leaves you see out there will be gone. The temperature will be much colder. It'll get darker earlier and light early, uh, later. Uh, you know how it goes, whatever it is. And you're going to see that all those leaves are going to be gone, and you're going to have a bareness in all of the trees. Then you're going to see some white stuff falling, and it's going to be called snow. It's going to freeze the water to ice. And there isn't anybody in here that doesn't have the ability to discern that you are no longer in summer. If that is true in a physical sense, if we are saved and we have the Spirit of God, then why cannot we discern by the same things we see around us that we are not in the summertime on planet Earth anymore as far as the nation of Israel is concerned? What more has to happen in life? How many more wars? How many more peace treaties have to be broken? How many more nations need to line up against the nation of Israel? How many more things need to happen before we pull our head out of the sand and say, wow, you know what? Things aren't very well on planet Earth. Gee, I wonder what's going on. I'll tell you what's going on very simply and very basic. You are living in the last moments of the last hour before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, unlike, and I know you don't grasp this yet, God cares nothing about your career. God cares nothing about uh, your finances. God cares nothing about any of those things in relationship to His coming. Now, on a personal basis, my God supplies all of your need. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying He isn't going to slow up His plan for one second because you've got big plans for your career. You better get your career in the light and light of God's plan. And that's another message. Now, there's a way that you know this. You know this because the Bible in the book of Daniel told you. Told you unequivocally. Told you beyond any shadow of any doubt and gave you the information that the Gentile nations that were going to run the world in an orderly fashion from the time of Daniel right up to 2005 where you and I are at. He told you in Daniel chapter 2 that the kingdom that was in power when Daniel was there was Babylon. Babylon is in power in 606 B.C., and we know that the head of Babylon is Nebuchadnezzar. At about 536, Persia defeats uh, Babylon with Darius, and uh, Darius and Persia run the world. And then in around 330, Alexander the Great from Greece defeats Darius, and now Greece runs the world. And then Greece gets defeated by Rome at around 200 uh, B.C., uh, the Caesars take over, and Rome dominates the world. And that brings us up from 606, right in line, every world power, Gentile world power, we're in the times of the Gentiles. History's not hard if you just follow the Bible. God, he's, when he said, you're not to be ignorant of these things, this is why he makes that statement. He gives you all the material. He gives you all that material. That brings us right up to the first coming of Christ. And when Jesus Christ shows up the first time, Rome is in power. Rome is in power then uh, up till 1500 A.D. now with Martin Luther and the Reformation. When Martin Luther breaks with the Roman Catholic Church and it all comes to pieces and the Reformation breaks loose, we see the shifting power of the Gentile nations go from uh, uh, Daniel chapter 2 to Daniel chapter 7. You see, Daniel chapter 2 brings you from 606 B.C. up to the first coming of Christ. 
Daniel chapter 7 brings you from the first coming of Christ up to 2005 beyond right into America. And that's why Paul had the audacity to say of the times and the seasons, brethren, I have no need to write unto you. You should have known those things. And I'm giving all you young Christians a free pass because I'm going to help you get there. Then we find in Daniel chapter 7 uh, the, next, uh, the next great nation, and it's symbolized by a lion. That nation would be England. And England comes to power in 1600, and England stays in power till about the beginning of the 20th century, around 1900. And then the next great nation that grows up in Daniel chapter 7 is the nation that is represented by a bear. That'll be Russia. And Russia comes on the scene with the Re uh, Russian Revolution, and for the next 40, 50, 60 years, communism devour in fact it says about this bear that he arises and devours much flesh you know what that means that means from 1900 to 1970 or 1975 whenever it is that russia devours and three quarters of the world is communistic it spreads everywhere in fact if you want to really study a neat thing in the philadelphian church age under england three quarters of the world is under the king james bible from uh, the bear three quarters of the world is under communism interesting and then what happens? Oh, I don't know. When did the wall go down? 1970, no, 1980, something like that, 1878, somewhere in there, under, the first, under President Reagan. The, the wall comes down. And now communism is gone. Communism is no threat anymore. Russia's no threat. Russia's been divided up and parceled up into little kingdoms and little groups. She never, peer, she never is the threat any, again that she was then. You know what the great nation comes into now? United States of America. You know what she's represented by? She's represented by a leopard. A leopard. A cat. A cat. A special kind of cat. Because the Antichrist is likened to a cat. The Antichrist... <coughs> is going to get the whole world together. You know, you got three kinds of people in this world. You got three races. You got white people, you got black people, and you got the Shemites, you got the yellow people. Three basic races. Now, all the other races, men or mingling, come from there. But if you go back in your Bible in Genesis, you're going to find that Shem, Ham, and Japheth represent the three nations. Shem represents the yellow, the the um, uh, the uh, a Chinese, Japanese, uh, the whole line down there, and you're going to find that Ham represents the black nation, and you're going to find that Japheth represents the white nations. And when those three boys come out of that ark at the top of Mount Arath, wherever they spread out is where they go. Shem goes into Asia Minor, uh, uh, Japheth goes into Europe, Ham goes down into Africa. And that's the way it goes. But when the Antichrist pulls it all together, you see, he's got to have a nation that is amalgamated together. So the last nation in Daniel chapter 7 that is the world power that ends all world powers, America, and America is likened to a leopard because a leopard is likened to the Antichrist and the leopard is the only animal that contains all three races. It's got the white belly of Japheth, the yellow back of Shem, and the black spots of Ham showing you that this nation is going to be fully integrated and fully got away with all the differences, and then the next nation that comes from that in Daniel chapter 7 enter in the nation of the Antichrist. And from that, he takes over the world. And this is what you're told in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. And the book of Jude shows you why America gets clobbered 
The book of Jude is a program of the game of life. You go to the Chiefs game, you watch a bunch of guys running around down there, but you don't know who's who. You buy a program, and you get to know who the players are. Most people watch life, and they just watch a bunch of things happen. When you get a Bible, you suddenly get the program that shows you the players. It's as simple as that. The Bible gives you and I a seat on the 50-yard line of this game called life of what God is doing and what the devil's doing. And the book of Jude shows how America, the world power today, got into the position of being the greatest nation against God in the world today, while all the while under the illusion of being the great Christian nation. Now, I don't know how much you know about the Bible, once we finish the books of the Bible, we're going to, which is going to be next week, then we're going to launch into the doctrinal. I've given you all the basic stuff, and now we're going to go through and we're going to begin to develop the meat of all the. I'm going to show you that systematic theology of learning your Bible. Now we're going to come through it week on week, and we're going to cover all the different areas. One of the things in time we'll deal with is the great lesson that there's seven laws in your Bible. Seven laws in the Bible. And your Bible is built on these seven laws. The history of all the world is built on these seven laws. Everything that happens in this world comes back on these absolute seven laws. They are undisputed. They, it doesn't make an difference whether you believe them or not. Somebody, I've heard men say, well, I just don't buy into that. It doesn't make an difference whether you believe it or not. There's a lot of people who don't believe in gravity. You go up to a 25-story building and sit up here and say, I just don't believe that gravity is real. You step off the edge of that building, and you know what happens? The law of gravity proves it's right. And you suddenly get the idea right before you hit the ground that law of gravity is an absolute law, and your opinion about it doesn't change it. This world is God's world. God made it. God fashioned it. God made it for a purpose. He had a plan. It's all laid out in the Bible. And then God put it in motion by seven laws. Your and my understanding, feeling, disagreement with those seven laws doesn't wake God up from a problem at all. He just keeps on going. The laws are universal. You may think you can, you can run through that wall. You may think you can get in your car and you can drive for a concrete barrier at 100 miles an hour. And you may think you are indestructible. A lot of young people think that today. You got a young people that are living their lives just like that. They're living their lives like a guy gets in a car and sees a cement wall down here reinforced with steel and everything else. And he makes a, at 100 miles an hour, <coughs> he's going to hit that wall. That represents the fun life you're having. And he thinks to himself because he is young, because he is strong, because he is vibrant, because he can run fast, he can break tackles, because he thinks of all the great things that youth brings, that that wall won't stop him. That wall will, and the last thing that will go through your mind, besides the wall, will be the fact that that wall stopped you. You cannot break, get around the laws. The laws are absolute. And this is what America has done. This is what gets Christians in trouble. 
This is what breaks it down to the place that we get in the mess that we're in. America has violated every law of God there is. Now let me just say this to you. When you violate the laws of God, you begin in your life a downward spiral. That downward spiral keeps going down. It doesn't go up. Once you violate the laws of God in your life personally, your relationship with God ceases to exist, and very slowly you begin. This is what Psalms 1 is all about. Blessed is the man that walketh not. He stands on any ship. He's spiraling down. Any country that starts out with the Word of God and then leaves the Word of God begins that slow spiral down. Any church that starts out preaching the King James Bible and then winds up dumping it starts that slow spiral working down. Every couple that, that, that ceases to put God in their life and their marriage and ceases to, and they wonder why. Why can't, we, why can't we make this thing work? Because the law is telling you you're going down. You don't want to do what the Word of God says. So you're trying to get back up without doing the law. Doesn't work. That's like a guy falling off a 20-story building, grabbing at the air as he goes down and says, man, I don't understand this. Why can't I make any headway? Because a law, absolute law, has come into thing. When you step off it, down you go. Violate the book and its principles, down you go. Simple as that. Simple as that. This is how it started. He says in chapter 1, verses 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in, under, in underwear, uh, in underwears. <laughs> I always had a tough with that time of that verse. For there are certain men crept in no, I'm never going to be able to say it right now again. You know, <laughs> I hate when I do this. For there are certain men crept in who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, help us. Help us to understand this great book. Father, help us. Holy Spirit of God, touch the lives that are here today of men and women who are your children and show them, Father. Help them understand they need a, a beginning, a prioritizing of their lives. They're living in the last moments, and yet many of God's people are living like they're going to live their life forever. Help us to see the urgency of the hour. Help us to see the state of the union today from the book of Jude. And we'll thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, this spiral downward is laid out for you in two books in your Bible. One is the book of Jude. The other one is the book of Romans. The book of Romans lays out, and the book of Jude lays out the downward spirals. Now, he says in Jude, verse uh, 3 here, or, or excuse me, down here, uh, he says, Men came in and turned the grace of God into lasciviousness. Now, lasciviousness is evil, animalistic passions. It is all the degrassy, all the filth, and all of the godliness, ungodliness of the world. And that's exactly where Romans chapter 1 gives you the best definition of lasciviousness of anywhere I know in the Bible. Romans chapter 1, verse 23, lays it out this way. It says that man, 
And this is exactly what America does. This is exactly what the book of Jude is talking about. It says in Romans chapter 1, verse 23, that man changed the glory of God into an image made like unto corruptible man and to birds and to four-footed beasts and to creeping things. Now there's lasciviousness. Lasciviousness means evil, depraved, animalistic passion. And what Americans have done, they once had the truth, they once had the Word of God, they once had the absolute law of God, and what they did, they traded it. They changed the glory of God in this book unto an image made like to corruptible man. And then didn't stop there. You know why they didn't stop there? Who wants to tell me why they didn't stop there? Who wants, I'll, I'll give you a shot. Who wants to, raise your hand. Who wants to raise your hand and tell me why they didn't stop there? I've given you all the information I want to know. Who wants to tell me? Bob, the reason why they didn't stop there is. That's right. Once you violate it, you can't stop there. You go, once you destroy the glory of God and make it like corruptible man, the spiral starts and then it is the animals and then it winds up with that guy you went out with one time, the creepy things. You know what I'm talking about, Mindy? You do, don't you, darling? And that's where we're at. And then it says, verse 25, and changed the truth of God into a lie. Then what happens? And worship and serve the creature more than the creator. How in the world did we ever get in America in a mindset where we serve and worship the creature more than the creator? Why do we have guys who make a religion out of hugging trees? Why do we have a thing where we spend hundreds and millions and millions of dollars on saving whales who have got beached in Alaska when the world, when there are people in Kansas City who are starving to death, who will not be able to heat their homes, who will not be able to go through, or going through the most hard time. The world is dying and going to hell, and we are spending literal millions and millions of dollars to study the mating habits of the bald eagle. Because we have lost the concept. Verse 4 says, denying the Lord and His Word. And in doing so, you destroy, verse 3, the common salvation. You see, salvation, God intended it to be very basic and very common. It's so easy. It's called God's simple plan of salvation. But once man gets his hands on it and destroys the truth of God, the spiral starts. And now we start worshiping everything else more than God. America has, is, is worship crazy for its gods and not the true God. They worship sports. They worship hunting. They worship everything out there. They worship, hey, let me tell you something. We drove over there to the thing last night down there at the dragway. There was one of them rock concerts they have every year down there. And I'll tell you what. That place, the traffic was backed up, took us an hour to get there. That place was absolutely packed out. I have, seen, there, I have never seen that many people excited to go to worship God. You know why? Because they were worshiping something else down there. And when you drove by this morning, all you had to see was a 40-acre parking lot, and you see what they left in it. I thought it snowed. It was trash, beer cans, everything in the world. Now, America loves to worship its gods, and America has an abundance of gods. We look at the old Roman Empire where they had 500 gods. Boy, America's got them beat to pieces. 
And he's telling us in verse 3 that the common salvation has been destroyed. Men have crept in. They have destroyed the common salvation. And then verse 3 tells you and me that we are to contend for the truth that was once delivered to the world. That's my job. Now that's going to separate the men from the boys in this world that we're in today. Right there. Because America is in this boat. And now the mandate has been clearly given to you and me. We are to stand and deliver the truth and preach the truth that was once delivered to the saints in a world that absolutely despises that kind of truth. Now that's going to put the pressure on. That will separate the men from the boys. And that's exactly what it has done. That's exactly, I said it Thursday night. You couldn't find a handful of churches in this town that preached on hell last year and preached on hell and preached on the judgment and preached on the great white throne judgment. You could, you could, you could, put, them, you could, put, them in, you could put them in a basket, man. They're just not out there. Why? We're not going to preach anything that offends anybody. We're going to make our preaching acceptable. And we're going to make it respectable. We want to reach the cr crowd. We want to reach the masses. We recognize as pastors that we're living in a society that has changed. No, it hasn't changed. It's spiraling down. Spiraling down your preaching to go along with a spiraling down society will never work. We are to preach the same message that was delivered to the saints. And if the world wants to spiral down, let it spiral down. We need to hold the line and preach the truth in a world that hates truth. But boy, is that going to put the pressure on you. You're going to lose some friends. You're going to lose some, uh, some, some, some opportunities. You're going to have people ridicule and make fun of you. You're going to have people look at you like you're a three-headed monster. Let me ask you a question. What are you willing, what price are you willing to pay for what he did to save you? America is like a Walmart supercenter. I love Walmarts. I could get along without any other store if there was just Walmarts. Walmart meets all of your needs for a reasonable price. I love it. Now I know some of you would never buy your clothes at Walmart. Some of you have to have Tommy Hilflicker on the front of your thing. See? Some of you have to have Liz Claiborne. Some, and I'm not fighting that. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not. I like to do astrophotography and like the heavens, and I'll tell you the first one. I don't buy my telescopes at Sears or Pennies. I understand. I'm making a general statement. When you go into a Walmart, you know Sam Walton was a saved man? He was a saved man, born again. And when you go into a Walmart supercenter, the thing that, I remember went in one time, and they had 80, 80, 80 checkout lanes. Of course, they only have two of them open at any one time. But they got them if they need them. Now, I know most of you, most of all of us, the day after Christmas is the number one shopping day of the, of the world, year. Because everybody slashes their prices because that's their last injection into the economy before the year's out. 
Because day after New Year's, you're also hungover. You ain't going out shopping. <laughs> they know these things. But day after Christmas, uh, you've just had a bunch of things given to you. You've got everything that you could want. You've got all your presents. And now it's excited your flesh that you want more. So you get a chance to go out and get a deal. Hey, I'm there with you. I go to Walmart. Because Walmart's got some great deals. You know the little guy, the little mask on, always cutting on him? He's just spinning them suckers day after Christmas. I'll never forget. I went to Walmart, this has been four or five years ago, to in a super center day after Christmas. Got there early. Oh, man. I mean, I, mean, I should have been there the night before and camped out. I mean, place was packed. And I'm standing in line. It goes all the way down the parking lot to the bus stop. They got every checkout open. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, sitting there waiting, you know, playing these mental mind games. I'm looking at all these people, looking at all these checkouts, and all you can hear is the barcode. Boop, boop. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, it's, I mean, it, if they could get, get a resynchronized, you could, you could dance to it. I mean, it was just boop, boop, boop. You know, they're running across those scanning barcode things. And I'm sitting there, and I'll never forget I thought that. I thought, you know what? You know what would really be fun? See this place in utter confusion. You know what would put this place in utter confusion? If somebody could have got in the night before, the day after Christmas, and changed all the barcodes. The next morning, 28, 5,000 million people come into Walmart Supercenter. 85 lanes are opened up. I mean, the blue lights are going off. You'd think there was a police raid. I mean, you hear, you, you, you'd hear, you know, uh, check it out in aisle four, blue lights. You hear all that stuff that just you love to hear. And I mean, tell you, every time, every time somebody says, check it out on life 4 women just run. They knock each other down. They get over that thing, and they want to get it. And I thought to myself, wouldn't it be fun, wouldn't it be utter confusion if while everybody's home preparing for the next day, I snuck in and with one magical stroke could change every barcode. Could you, you know how it happens with, and, and, and when Walmart, people that work at Walmart, you know, the, uh, you know the barcodes are not fallible, you know, uh, and, and they'll go up there, and it shuts down the whole system. You get up there, and you come, I come through one time, and she <coughs> won't scan. <coughs> Turns it over. <coughs> she does about nine or ten times. Now there's like five, eight, nine people behind me. So what does she do? I need some help on register five for a price check. The minute she hangs up, all nine people go. <sighs> And they're mad at me. <laughs> I mean, it's like, could you imagine doing that in everything that's in the store? I mean, you come up with a tube of toothpaste, $547. <laughs> come up with a big old 77-inch color digital laser light television. Zoop. 49 cents. <laughs> Boy, would they be on the thing? Price check on I6. What is it? It'd be crazy. You know what's wrong in America? While America fell asleep, the devil came in and changed all the barcodes on the value system in America. And you know what some of God's people are doing today? They're spending. Millions of dollars on something that only really is worth 39 cents. That's what they're doing. God's people today embrace some of the most vilest, filthy, 
God-denying lifestyles. They enter into areas that God looks at as an abomination and decadent, unholy areas that God hates with everything that is passionate and holy in Him, and they look at it like it's just the way things are supposed to be. But then you talk about a godly lifestyle that loves God, loves the Bible, lives holy, lives separated, and they look at that like it's a bad thing. Somebody has changed the barcodes. While America slept, while pastors went to sleep, while the spiral was coming down, and they were so busy to keep up with the spiral of matching their preaching to the decadence of society, they denied the Lord that bought them. And now we've got a society that doesn't know right from wrong. Isaiah in Isaiah 5, verse 20, oh, what a great verse. He says, woe unto them that call evil good and good evil. Woe unto them that call light darkness and darkness light. Woe unto them that, uh, that the bitter has become sweet and the sweet has become bitter. He says, woe unto them that cast away of love, the law of God and despise his word. Here we are. And that trittles right down into Christianity. And that's why God has given you so many of dollars to spend. The dollars that he's given you are the talents, the abilities, and the time you have. And you know what? We, because we don't have the right value system, are buying stuff that only costs 39 cents, and we're spending all of our resources on it. Now, you don't want to miss this. this here's, the, here's the result. Here's the result. Here's the result of 100 plus years in America of denying the truth. And this is America. Verse 6, chapter 1. Now he makes some comparison. Now, I told you before, three main ways God teaches you the Bible. One of the ways is contrast. He shows you what's different. One of the ways he does is by association. He shows you the things that are the same. Now here's an association. Because in verse 6 he says, And the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitations, he hath reserved an everlasting chain in the darkness under judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Now, when he brings up verse 6 and he talks about the angels which kept not their first estate, he sets the context. The context takes us right back to Genesis and Genesis chapter 6 with Noah's flood. Now let me tell you that story. It's real easy, real quick. In Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says that there were angels that, that tried to revolt against God with Lucifer back in the very beginning. And those sons of God, angels, came down to earth in some kind of body. When they come down to earth, the Bible says that they cohabited with human women and they produced a race of giants. The purpose for that being is that the devil wanted to gain control of planet earth through his own superinfusion of his own demonic forces into uh, the human race, and thereby uh, taking it over. Now you say, well, I just don't, can't hardly believe that. Well, what's your problem? Adolf Hitler tried to do the same thing. Don't you know what his Liebenspohn program with? That he took all these 
Vaughn Aryan SS males and says, I want to create a what? A master race? A what? For the purpose of what? Taking over the world. So he had the master race ma uh, marry pure blood Germans, not even marry, mate with pure blood Germans, that he would produce little kids. They put those in a German orphanage. They'd raise them up. And Hitler's plan was that he would take over the world by taking young Aryan men of pure Aryan stock, taking pretty young Aryan women, some of them weren't so pretty, and, and of Aryan stock, mating the two together without marriage and producing a race that in time would overrun the world and take care of the world and take charge of the world by a supreme race of Aryan white men, white people. That's where the Aryan race brother could come from today. And I'm telling you, that plan wasn't new. That plan was hatched in Genesis chapter 6. That's what the devil tried to do with his own cohorts. And what happened was... <coughs> It comes to the place where it throws the earth in a The moment Adam and Eve oh, disobeyed what God said and cho challenged God's authority and took of that tree, that spiral started. By the time you get to Genesis chapter 6, the spiral has almost hit bottom. In fact, the Bible says in Genesis chapter 6 that all a man's imagination is evil and against God. The Bible says that that period of time, as I already quoted, there was probably 5 billion people on planet earth. It was the world that wasn't without religion. Had religions on every street corner. But it was a world where one man was standing. His name was Noah. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, that he was a preacher of righteousness. He preached for 120 years while the ark was preparing. And you know what? In a world of 5 billion people, not one person got saved. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says that he preached and condemned the world right before the flood. What was the flood? God's judgment. Now here's, here's how you learn your Bible, by comparison. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. See the comparison? The way it was in Noah's time, the spiral hit bottom, God's judgment came. It's going to be just like that when Christ comes back. And I already told you, we're living in the last hours. The book of Jude is the, is the declaration that shows you the state that we're in. It's right there. It's right there. Then when you come down through this, it's, it says in, in verse 7, it says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example of suffering, vengeance, and eternal fire. That brings us back to Romans chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. Even their women did change the, key word, natural use, which that is against nature. You see, there are natural sins, and then there are natural sins. And the more you go down, the, the spiral down, the more you leave the natural sins and you enter into the unnatural sins. And that's the way it goes. You know what the nation of Israel had gotten into? And this is all covered for you back there in 2 Kings chapter 23, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 22, Deuteronomy 28, 1 Samuel 5, anywhere you want to go. You know what they'd gotten to? They started out with just running around and shacking up men with women and women with men. But at the, at, and first they dumped the Word of God. And then it spiral goes down. <coughs> Before it gets too long, it's now men with men and women with women. And that wasn't enough. Then it went from men to little children. And then it went from men and women, from children to animals. And it wound up called bestiality in your Bible. And then it wound up with a word called necromancing, which is sex with dead people. That's the spiral down that Israel got into. Now, let me just ask you a question. If you're any kind of intelligent individual with a reasonable IQ, where would you put America on that chart? Thank you. 
I think that was a gag and not an amen. As my old preacher friend used to say, enough to gag a mag in the gut wagon, but that's the way it goes. Look at verse 8. <clears throat> Likewise also, <clears throat> these <clears throat> filthy dreamers <clears throat> defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignity. Now here we go, filthy dreamers. Takes us back to Genesis chapter 6. Oh, by the way, about Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says in Luke chapter 17, verse 24, as it was in the days of Lot, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. The parallels are there. That's why we've got the decadence in our world today. <coughs> Somebody said, well, you believe all this stuff is God's judgment or not? Well, I don't know, but if it's not, God's missing the best opportunity he had all week. But even if it isn't, hang on, pal, the best one's coming. Maybe you're just not quite there yet, but get ready. Get on the 50-yard line and get your seat. Get your hot dog with sauerkraut and some nachos and a Coke and stay put. You don't want to miss a thing. God's giving you the program. It's called a King James 1611. Show you play-by-play -play where this thing is at. Verse 8, likewise, <coughs> these filthy dreamers. All right, <coughs> Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 said that uh, <coughs> where sin started in Genesis 6 was the imagination of their heart. You got to spend some time over in Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 12. You'll find out exactly <coughs> where Israel got into their problems. They got into their problems in their mind. Once you leave God's Word and cease meditating on the Word of God, you start meditating on everything else because the spiral goes down. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't go down a while and stop. It doesn't go down a while and then go back up. It just goes down, 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 down. Let me tell you something. You want to know what the greatest, God's already pronounced the greatest judgment on America. Somebody said, you think 911 was God's judgment? Nope. You think the great tsunami over there was a judgment? Nope. <coughs> you think the AIDS is a judgment? Nope. Do you think that uh, all the earthquakes down there are judgment? Nope. What do you think God's judgment is in America? The greatest judgment God can pronounce on any person or any country is for God to take his hand off that country and let them do their own thing. That's America. God says, hands off. Let her go. Let her go. Let her go. Romans chapter 1 gives you the progression. Five things. God was revealed, then God was rejected, then God was replaced, and then God was hated. That's in all in Romans chapter 1. God was revealed in this country, 1700 to 1800. Greatest preachers, greatest missionary, greatest movement, greatest awakenings across this country. God was rejected, 1900, when they dumped the Word of God. God was replaced in 1960. And today, as we stand in 2005, God is simply hated. In our government, in our country, nobody. You can't put in the Constitution. You can't have the Ten Commandments in school. You can't pray in school. You can't have a Bible study in school. You can't do anything in school. You can't go to a public place and just play the nativity scene. Why? We don't want anything of God anywhere in our society. That's why they hate you. You live in a world with no truth, and you have a book that is truth, and your job is to preach it. Tough job, nasty job, but somebody's got to do it. He says, filthy dreamers. It starts in the heart. Then it says, defiling the flesh. Once it gets into the mind, then it enters into the flesh. Once it gets into your flesh, the next thing is, despises dominion. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. The world today despises the way you live. For 230 years in this country... <coughs> They loved God. They believed God's Bible. They believed everything that was right. Marriage was monogamous. You, you raised your children right. You paid your debts. You loved your wife. You loved your husband. You did what was right. You uh, prayed in school. How can you remember going to school and praying in school? 
I remember going to school on Easter, having a preacher come in and preach about Christ dying on the cross. Hey, don't look at me. I was Joseph in the nativity scene. And I was pretty fair Joseph, I might add myself. But you see now, 230 years later, the society we're in now says that was all wrong. Now, I got a question. Where did it change? Why was it right for 230 years, the greatest prosperity of this country, where we never lost a war and everybody was afraid to touch us? And we stood as the, one of the greatest nations, and we were feared, and nobody messed with us. And when they did, like the Japs did in, in, uh, at Pearl Harbor, we showed them who was boss. You drop a, a couple bombs on us, look at the big one we're going to drop on you. <coughs> Hiroshima, Nagasaki. What happened for 230 years <coughs> when the founding fathers framed the Constitution? They put in God in it. When it first came back and they looked at it, they said, uh-uh, ain't enough references to God took it back and they had to put God in it three more times. You know what they're saying today? No references of God at all. What happened? Why were they right and we're, why were they wrong and we're right? You see, that's what it means when it says despise dominion. They despise society today that has anything to do with God. Their lasciviousness in their evil passions, their animalistic in their lifestyles, and now they look at what was once right, once holy, things that you and I grew up on that were good, wholesome family values, and now suddenly it was all wrong. And then it says, speak evil of dignitaries. That's, that's the, uh, against the God. Dignitaries is what's right. That's against God, against church, against government, against preaching. The difference would be the Philadelphian church versus the Laodicean church. They speak evil now of what is right. And somebody says, how did we get here? Because when you leave the book, the spiral starts down and it doesn't stop. And God was revealed, then he was rejected, then he was replaced, and now he's reviled. I'll tell you what, the book of Jude tells you what the state of America is. Then in chapter 1, verse 11, he says this, three men here. Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain, and have ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds that are without water, carried about of winds, trees whose fruit withereth, without fruit twice dead, plucked up by the root, waging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Whoa, what a verse, or what a, what a, what a passage. Three men in here. First one's Cain. Cain's your first murderer in the Bible. It says they went the way of Cain. I guess that might have something to do why in a Kansas city we're probably up to now, what, 104 for the year? Killing people are killing people all over the place. Why is why it's just but why? The whole bottom line is Cain was the first, and it went the way of Cain. You know how Cain went? The Bible says Cain, when he was faced with the wrong thing that he did, God gave him a chance to do what's right, and Cain said, No way. And then the Bible says Cain left the presence of the Lord. And when he left God's presence, what happened, people? 
He left the presence of God. God says, flip the spiral switch. Down he went. Down he went. Not only is he the first murderer in the Bible, but he's also, <clears throat> keeping in our text here, first type of antichrist in your Bible. Then the next man is talked about the heir of Balaam. That would bring us back to Numbers chapter 22 through 25. You know what heir of Balaam was? It was his greed. It was his greed. It was his greed. God told him what he could and what he couldn't do. I'm going to consent the story. Balaam wanted to do something. God says, you can't do that. Balaam stayed up for the next week finding a way to get around what God said and still justifying what he wanted to do. You know what drove him in it? His greed. Because somebody said, if you'll do this for me, I'll give you a blank check. And brother, he just couldn't take no for an answer from God. And he schemed, plotted, worked around, come up with everything in his life to try to get that around what God said so he could fulfill his one basic desire, greed. You know what happened when he left God, what God said, went his own way? Tell me what happened, people. Spiral started. God said, flip the switch on Balaam. And just keeping within the context of our study here, when you start the era of Balaam, you start to find three men in that story. One of them is Baal, Balaam, and Barak. Baal, Baal represents the false god. Balaam represents the false uh, priest. And Balak represents the false son. And all three of them match up to the three unclean spirits found in Revelation chapter 16, which come down and attack the nation of Israel. And by the way, that's what he wanted to do. It all fits together. Then you have the last guy, Kor. And Kor, Numbers chapter 16, he's the guy I talked about earlier that went, went, went to try to overthrow Moses and lead the nation of Israel astray. And God simply just put an earthquake and opened up the thing and they just all got sucked down to the ground. God judged them. Then you have verse 12. This is where it gets real practical. This is America today. <clears throat> These are spots in your feast of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. You know what that means? That means that everything you try to do good today, somebody's got an ulterior motive, and they take their hand and take out what they want to take first. How many scandals do we need in the U.N. with a food for oil program? United Way, American Way, Red Cross, they've all had their scandals. You give your little hard money to help it down there, and then you found out somebody else, when you gave your feast of charity, somebody got their hand in the till and got it out, and they ate without even being afraid and took your money that you gave down there to help somebody else. That's America. America's not concerned about people. Back in 9-11, when the whole thing took place, you know what it took? It took a court order to get the Red Cross to give the money to the people up there because of the fact that they were, looked at all that money coming and they said, wow, our budget's set for the next 35 years. Maybe we'll just deal out a little bit of money. And somebody started saying, what happened to all the money? Where, where did it all go? We gave something like $16 trillion, trillion billion dollars, and now we're only giving out a million dollars? Where's it all at? And then they had to fess up and they say, well, you know what, we're holding that for other events. No, no, that money came in for people. You know what they were holding it for? Christmas bonuses. Spots in your feast of charity. Nothing pure in this country anymore. Everything behind us got an ulterior motive. Then he says, 
clouds without water. Oh, that's a good one. You see, when you see clouds, you expect rain. Because when it clouds up, a law is taking place. That law is when cold air meets hot air, <coughs> there is a violent reaction and it rains. Let me put it in simple terms. When your mother-in-law comes to live at your house, a violent reaction ensues. See how easy the Bible is? <coughs> Warm air and hot air. Your mother-in-law's hot air, your cold air. The rest is history. I read a biography one time of, of, of Marshal Falk. Marshal Falk was one of the great French generals in World War, World War I. Little side note. And they, he come to America in the 1920s, and they took him on a tour of America. You know what he wanted to see? He wanted to see the Grand Canyon. And here's Marshal Falk, great leader of the French army in World War I. Great guy, great general, standing there trying to take in all of the a mass, men's, he never seen anything like the Grand Canyon. And he said something in French. And the reporter back there said, oh, I want to get Marshal Falk's statement of first seeing the Grand Canyon. So he went to his aide and he said, what did the Marshal say? He said, he said, it would be a great place to drop your mother-in-law. <laughs> I don't think they printed that. <clears throat> but that's a true story. But he talks about down through here and he says, cloud without water. You know what that means? That means it looks like it's going to rain, but there's nothing in the clouds. And you don't get what it looks like. It means that there looks like this world can satisfy your needs. It looks like the party's on Friday night and Saturday night. It looks like all the things you get into. It looks like all the investments you can make with your money and your life. It looks like that there's really happiness in all those things, but they're clouds without water. The loneliest place on this planet today is the lives of God's people who have invested everything that God gave them in the wrong things. The suicide rate in this country is unbelievable. The despair and the despondency is un un unimaginable. Why? Because people thought those clouds would give me something that would satisfy my soul, and it hasn't, and it won't. There's only one thing that will satisfy your soul, and I'll just say it right now before I get to the end. It's this old book right here. This is the water the woman was looked for. This is in John chapter 4, that great story about the woman at the well. She'd come to that well every day of her life getting water. And every day she had to come back because that water wouldn't satisfy her. Then one day she met the fountain of youth. Oh, there was a day she met the eternal water. There was a day she met the water of life, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, lady, what are you doing at this well? She said, I've come here to draw water. Our fathers draw water from here. This is Jacob's well. And he says, hey, the water I got to give you, you'll never have to drink again. She says, really? What kind of water is that? Water is eternal life. She says, give me this water. She got the water. You know how I know she got saved? You know how I know she got the living water? Because the Bible says that when she left, she left her bucket. She didn't have to come back to the well anymore. Once you get tired, keep going back to get filled up. Boy, I'll tell you what, you get the water that God's got. You get the truth of God in your life. It sustains you and gets you through. You don't have to keep looking for a fix. You don't have to keep looking for a high. 
you get it all right there. Then he says this, verse 12, carried about with winds. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, defines winds as false doctrine. Boy, God's people are so confused today. No wonder Christian marriages are on the rocks. No wonder it's a mess. No wonder Christian kids are going to hell but a basket full. No wonder the whole thing is a mess. It's because we don't know what we believe today. We believe something, but we don't know why or we don't know what. We don't know why we believe what we believe, and we hope that's why there's so many cults that just feed on young Christians because nobody today is taking them and teaching them one-on-one -on -one what that Bible says, and they just get blown about by everything that's out there. He says, twice dead, verse 12. Well, before he says that, he says, trees without fruit that wither. You know what that simply means? No family values in America. Let me tell you something. This is a true statement. Let me take this to the bank. Whatever the parents are, good or bad, the children will always turn out worse than the parents, good or bad. They'll never be, they'll never be higher unless you take them through the Word of God and teach them to be higher. You get a parent over here that just does the things of the world, and they go out and party and drink and do all the things that they do, and they don't really do anything bad. They just come up there and do good old good boy sins, you know, old good boy times and all of that stuff. And they have kids and there's no God involved and there's no Bible involved. The spiral starts. And your kids will always get into something more than you got into. You know why? Because between the time you do it and the time they do it, the spiral's farther down. Life is so easy, folks. It's not hard. When I look at somebody coming in and the parents are a mess and the kids are a mess, I know I've got two points of the spiral that I've got to deal with. Because that's an absolute law. And that's why there's no family values in America. That's why kids are just as wild, just as wild and ruthless and just as uncontrollable. Because the parents are uncontrollable, just not as bad. Just not as bad. Then he says, twice dead. They die physically, they're going to die spiritually. They're going to die physically, and they're going to die spiritually. They die twice. You see, I'm only going to die once if Jesus doesn't rapture me out. But I'm going to live for eternity. These poor people have got to go through the pain of life, the agony of life. I think that's one of the greatest tragic statements of all of the Bible and all of history. How about you be the world just beating you up, the devil kicking you six ways from Sunday, you so devoutly worshiping him, doing his bidding and calling, doing everything that he asks you to do, and then he winds up giving you cancer, cirrhosis of the liver, or you wind up dying someplace, and then after the agony of serving your God that failed you, then after you die physically, you got to spend eternity the rest of your life in hell without God spiritually. Wow. How many times I've went to a funeral and I've stood by the casket to walk by of a guy that, man, I'll tell you what, I know I can't judge anybody's heart, but I wouldn't want his chances of going to heaven. And I've heard somebody say, well, gee, gee, Tom, it's all, all the pain's over now. Gee, it's, yeah, that's exactly what I say, all the way in the back. Oh! Say, how do you know 
that. Because the Bible says you die twice. You may pain may be over in this life, but oh, there's a whole new definition of pain waiting for you. Death in this life is absolutely nothing compared to the death of a spiritual life, of your eternal separation from God Almighty and His judgment falling on you. And that's what he says, verse 13. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Oh, man, I'm telling you what. I told you, we talked about it Thursday night. I told you the most shameful thing in the world is a man or woman and dies to goes to hell. I'm telling you, because God never intended for you to be there. God thought, and here's how it works. Don't tell me about God is love. I'll tell you what the Bible's definition of God's love is. The Bible definition of God's love is God's wrath poured out on His sons so you wouldn't have to experience it. Don't tell me about God's love. I'll take you to places in the Bible and throw you to them. You won't know whether to hold the book upside down or not to figure it out. I know what God's love is. I've experienced it. You know what it is? It isn't some marshmallow in the sky. You know what it is? It isn't some God is love and He doesn't judge anything. You know what it is? On that cross, God's love for me was so strong, He dumped His wrath and turned His back on His Son for He loved me. Now, you know what that? Life is so easy. You either accept that and God says, okay, you've accepted it. I'm taking my wrath off of my Son I'm taking my wrath off of you, and I'm putting it on my son. You say, I don't need God. I don't want God. God says, okay, I'm taking my wrath off of my son, and you wear it. Is that complicated? Is there anybody with a sixth grade education that can't grasp that concept? God's love is God's wrath poured on his son for you and for me. You reject the, you reject the love. He takes the wrath that he put on his son, and you bear it. I'm telling you, the world of Noah and the challenges that he faced are no different than the challenges that you and I face, even though it's four or 5,000 years different. We as God's people who love the truth find ourselves in a world that hate truth. We as God's people have so much time and money and effort to spend. And we walk through it paying $2 for something that costs $500,000 and pay all of our lives for something when God looks at it isn't worth 39 cents. Because we think evil is now good and good is now evil. Noah stood alone. And you and I will probably, as a church, have to stand alone, or at least it'll seem that way. The job of the Christian in the last days is twofold. Look at verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And verse 20 also goes along with that and says, building up yourselves <coughs> on the most holy faith. The first thing that you and I are to do is look to yourselves. You know what? A Noah preached for 120 years, and the only people he got saved was his family. And I'm telling you, the most important thing is your family. You guys, you young couples with, now, with little kids, let me tell you something. The most important thing you can learn to do right now is do what's right with them with the Word of God. And that's where we're headed as a church. Once we get into this, <clears throat> once we get into this uh, 
volleyball thing and we reach out to some people. <coughs> we're going to stop that thing and we're gonna, when we get to that thing, we're going to start our marriage uh, enrichment classes where we're going to show you how to have a good marriage based on the Bible. Then once we get past that, <coughs> we get into the softball, we're going to come back and we're going to take the same kind of classes. <coughs> we're going to take them and I'm going to show you how to take the Word of God and biblically raise your children the way the Bible says and cover every aspect of it. Why? That's my job. Why? That's what needs to be done. I need to, as best I can, I can't change the world value system. I'm too little and it's too big. But I can change yours. And that's my job. One person at a time. Why do I spend time teaching you in the Bible? Why do I put up these stupid little goofy little things where you have to learn leadership? Because I need help changing the value system. I can't do it by myself.